If you would please turn in your Bibles to the book of John. The book of John in chapter 12. John chapter 12. I want to read the passage for us and then we'll have a word of prayer. John chapter 12 and verse 1. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a a supper there. And Martha was serving, and but Lazarus was um, Lazarus was with was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who, had in, who was intended to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Therefore Jesus said, said Let her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you... Always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The large crowd of the Jews then then learned that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but for those, but uh, that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest planned to put Lazarus to death, also. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were coming, were, were going away and were believing in Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you are so kind to allow us to gather together today. Thank you for those that are here. Your, your word is so special. Your word is, is preeminent in our lives because you are preeminent. Your word is special because of its author, because of you. Lord, help us to keep this word in the preeminent place in our lives. It is, it is your word. We have come to hear from you today. We have come to hear what you have said to the churches for now 2,000 years. We've come to hear what the Holy Spirit has recorded for us through godly men and Lord, we, we believe that it has, um, it has effect on our lives today. Lord, we submit ourselves to it as believers. We think it's so important that we submit ourselves to what it says. Now, Lord, prepare our hearts to receive this word. Help us, Lord, to understand the text, but Lord, help, it to, uh, help us to apply it to our lives. Help it to mean something to us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this country, America, has had its share of, of traitors. Those who betray their country. It started off many years ago. The name that you know, Benedict Arnold. Benedict Arnold was a general for the American Revolution, in the American Revolutionary War. And he 
He defected. He defected to the British army. Uh, in fact, the, the way it, it, it went was that he had just taken the command at Fort West Point in New York, and he had planned to, to turn it over to the British forces. And um, word got out and uh, in September of that year, and uh, he switched sides all of a sudden, and now he is a, a British a brigadier general for the British Army. He betrayed his country. He was, he was going to turn over one of our, one of our fortresses to the, to the enemy. He, he was going to betray his people, um, probably for political reasons. He was just on that side of the persuasion. Now, there's been other traitors in America, other people, other men that have done more damage than, than, um, Benedict Arnold, uh, damage to the security of our nation. The first one, I just, I'm just going to bring out two, just to give you uh, an example here. Um, Aldridge Ames, during uh, the late eight, uh, 1980s, from 1985 to 92, 1992, he turned over names of people, names of secret agents that the United States had, and he turned them over to the Russian government. And the Russian government executed them. And they began to see these guys being killed and wondering, where is the mole? Who is, who is responsible to, in giving these names out? And eventually he got 25, probably all 25 agents were killed. All but one. One escaped. But he also sent, um, uh, over a hundred, uh, he, he disclosed over a hundred military operations, uh, to the Russian government as well. During that eight-year period that he was this undercover spy, he received $4.6 million for being a spy from the Russian government. That's pretty lucrative. So the reason for his betraying his country is pretty obvious. In fact, he tells, and you can see an interview uh, with this guy, but it was just greed, money, money. But the biggest, the one who has done the most damage is um, Robert Hansen. That's just an interesting guy, alias Graysuit. Now, he was an FBI agent for 25 years, 25 years. And they said he was the most successful spy of all times. He, um, he passed American secrets to, Russian, uh, to the Russian government as well as to uh, terrorist organizations. For, and he did that for 22 years without getting caught. Uh, from 1979 to 2001, he sold uh, sensitive information so much so that the Department of uh, Justice said that possibly it was the worst um, intellectual uh, disaster in the American history. Some of the information that he sold landed in the hands of uh, Osama bin Laden, who orchestrated the 9-11 attacks. Are you well aware of that? The FBI paid $7 million for information, just information, to try to capture this guy. And he was finally captured in 2001. You may, some of you remember this. I remember this on the news when he was captured. It took a long time to, to capture him. Very intelligent man. But when he was captured, he said, he said, what took you so long? He knew that he was going to be captured. Now, one of the things that makes it, uh, this guy interesting is he didn't want the money. He, he knew he couldn't spend the money. That's how the other guy got caught. 
He was only making $60,000 a year and he's spending millions. This guy said, don't, don't give me very much money. He said, in fact, they never, never give him over $100,000 and they, and, uh, he wound up with a little over a million dollars for those 22 years of serving, uh, the Russian government, but he was a spy. He was a spy. He did damage to American security. People were killed. People were hurt as a result of these men. And I have to ask, I have to think, what goes on in the heart of these men? What's in their mind? What makes them tick? Why do they do what they do? Why are they like this? Why would they betray their country, the people that they love, their parents, their children, their family? It just is amazing to me. But you know what? The most famous of all betrayers, all traitors, who? Judas. Judas Iscariot. And this passage tells us about Judas. John wants us to know a little bit about Judas here. He just kind of gives us a, a little glimpse and then he, then he closes it, closes the window. But he exposes, just in this little passage, he exposes Judas's, his heart. And it's in the, in the environment of a, of a loving, uh, environment of, of a, a dinner, a special dinner for Christ. And uh, it was a special time, a special time. And uh, his heart was exposed. And it was black. And it was ugly. It was dirty and it was stinky. In fact, just the opposite, just the opposite of the perfume that was, that was uh, filling the house. Now, we've all been stabbed in the back. We've all been betrayed by, uh, the confidence betrayed by friends that we've had. And, and it hurts, doesn't it? It hurts. But this is more than just loyalty to Christ, isn't it? This is more than that. This is, this is about a, a wicked heart. This is about uh, exposed motives. And John gives us that. What's so amazing to me, though, is that Christ knew it all the time. He knew what was going to happen. He knew. And John gives us this information here, I believe, as a, as a warning. Now, the whole purpose of the book of John, remember, is about believing. He wants us to believe in Christ. But there is a superficial believing and then there's a, a real putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And, and the epitome of this superficial belief, this superficial believing, is one of his own disciples, the disciple of Christ. And so John is using this as a, as a warning to us, as a warning to Christians, as believers. We have to be very careful to make sure this is real. That we're not just playing. That this is not just some kind of superficial religious game that we are playing. And kind of the bottom line of this passage is if you are a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, it will change the way you live on a daily basis. We understand that. But it changes the way you live on a daily basis because it changes who you are. You have to be a different person. Judas was not changed. Oh, he was a follower. He was there. He saw all of the miracles. He heard all of the teaching, but he was not changed at all. So the question that I just ask in my own heart and mind, 
What is in the heart of a person, of this man who betrayed Christ? What was in his heart? Because I want to know. I want to see it. I definitely want to be warned. I definitely don't want to, to move down this path that he is moving down. Now, let's look at verse 4. We're going to just pick it up at verse 4. I know I read the whole passage, but I want to pick up at verse 4. And this is Judas's revealing question. If you're looking at our outline, Judas's revealing question. And I'm going to start with verse 4. It says, But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was intended to betray him, said... Now, the first word there, you you have to understand. You have to know. This is in contrast. It says, but. This is in contrast to this beautiful scene of sacrificial love from Mary. That she was anointing uh, Jesus' feet and wiping his feet with her hair. And just a beautiful um, uh, example of sacrifice. And we looked last week, if you'll remember, last week we saw this environment and we saw that, that Martha, Martha's act of service, and now when we, we saw then Mary's act of sacrifice. And just those two together, it was just almost like a picture of the church. Jesus Christ was there and, and boy, the believers just responding just like they were gifted to respond. And it was a beautiful picture. But all of a sudden you have Judas as carry it right here and... And all of this filth, all of this stinkiness contrasting with the, the um, pleasant aroma of the perfume that was anointing Jesus' body. And it's kind of like opening up a garbage can lid. Have you ever done that? And the smell just blows you away. And you close that can real fast. The other day, I... The other day, I opened my refrigerator door. Yeah. Now, refrigerator, remember, the refrigerator is this big box we keep in our kitchen for all the good stuff, the all the good smelling stuff in our house. We put it in there, all the stuff that we want to keep, we want to eat, and you open it up, and it's supposed to be very pleasant. Well, this time it wasn't, and I closed that refrigerator door really fast. There was something in there that did not belong. It was just... Now, I opened it later, and it was fine. Apparently, my wife had gotten in there and taken care of the problem. But you understand that. In the culture, or, or in, the, uh, in this environment that they'd set here, it was a beautiful environment. All of a sudden, this spews out of, uh, this reaction spews out of the, the mouth of, uh, of Judas. This is actually a question. It was a question. And this question, let me, let me go back though, let me try to apply this. In, in the most pleasant of environments, in this environment of worship, if we just took a snapshot of your heart right now, what would it reveal? Would it be a pleasant aroma to God or would it be something we'd just have to shut the lid? Something you'd be embarrassed about. Something that, that you would just, uh, you know, just be smelly would not be a, a good aroma. It comes down to the heart, doesn't it? It's a heart heart issue. It's not just the, the environment. He was, it was in a good environment. And um, Judas was in the right place. But man, his heart was so rotten. So bad. And he asked a question. It's just a question. Verse 5. Let's look at the question. 
Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii? Now, one denarii would be a day's wages. So 300, you're talking about a year's worth of, of uh, pay. Why was it not sold and given to the to poor people. Now, it was in the form of a question. He was wanting to be polite in this environment. He did not uh, verbally abuse her and, and condemn her. You put that away right now. Uh, you give me that. You're being irresponsible. No, he, he, was, he was not direct, was he? It was in the form of... He was polite. He was polite. He, he knew how to act in that particular environment. He was, he was polite. But you know what? Politeness is not the standard for godliness, is it? It comes down to the heart. It comes down to the very heart. And the heart, uh, this question reveals his heart. Where's your heart? What's going on with his heart? Why does he ask that question? What's his motives? And it, and it kind of reveals his heart. And John just spells it out for us right there in, in verse 6. But what we find is, when we, his heart's exposed, we find that he's a pretender. He was pretending to be righteously indignant, standing up for the poor. Think about the poor people. In fact, he was so, it was, his uh, argument was so logical and it made sense. The, the, other, and you, uh, the other disciples, you see this in Mark chapter 14 and, and Matthew's account, they kind of joined in with him. And uh, he said, why, why was this not soul? What's going on? You know, what's the, what's the problem? And it revealed this. This heart. In fact, John says, he says, now, he was not saying this because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he used to, as he had the money box, he would use, he used to pilfer what was put into it. He was a thief. He, 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 now, I often wondered, and I don't have the answer to this, but I'm just think, kind of thinking out loud. You know, Matthew, uh, Matthew was the tax collector, and we know that he would have been probably very good with money. Why didn't he handle the money? Well, apparently they trusted. They trusted uh, Judas, and uh, he turned out to be living a double life. A double life. He was a pretender. He was not really concerned about the poor. He, he was, he was a, a thief. He was a thief. And he lashes out at, at Mary, at, at his lost wages. This could have been sold, and they would have given it to Jesus, and he would have, uh, his organization, and they would have distributed it to the poor, and, uh, and uh, Judas would have just skimmed right off the top a little bit. Nobody would have ever noticed, and that would have been the way it was. Now, now this is not just a sin, This isn't just a sin. This is a way of life for him. And there's a difference. And I want us to see that. I want us to understand that. True believers, we will fall into sin. We will sin from time to time. And and there will be a regret. There will be a a repentance. There will be a, um, a fighting against that sin. But you don't see that here. You don't see that. He, he, this is, this is his matter of thinking. This is part of his life. He is now nurturing this sin. And he is, he is cultivating it 
this little greed that he has. And he thinks nobody sees it. It's kind of a, a little secret here. And he keeps feeding it. It's like a little pet. And he just kind of uh, cultivates it. This cute little sin that he has. It, it, it's not going to hurt anybody else. It's just this little secret. It's his secret. But it's, it's caused him to live a double life. It's a double life. And it should be warning to us. It should be red flags all over the place. He is now labeled as a thief. It's not just that he took something one time. No, it is a characteristic of his life. He is, he is labeled now. He's a thief. Now, I want you to see things from his perspective. We need to understand, because um, some people paint Judas in good light. Uh, they they kind of paint him as a just kind of a wayward brother, you know. He just made he, he tripped up once and and that was all. But I don't think you see that in scripture. I don't think you see that at all. He he had different values. In fact, this was an offense to him. Um, there was something more important to him than Christ. She was offering the sacrifice to Christ. It was about Christ. To him, it wasn't about Christ. It was about his own greed. Feeding his pet sin. There's a little secret sin there. And um, I think, frankly, I think this was the, the tipping point for him. He had been with Christ for three years. Three and a half years. And he, the, the handwriting was on the wall. They're going to kill Christ. They're going to get him. And he didn't turn out to be the way I thought he was going to be. Or the, the way Judas thought he was going to be. He joined up to this outfit thinking that this Messiah, this guy was going to be the Messiah and he was going to be a political Messiah and he was going to come in, conquer the Romans and, uh, and allow the Jews to, to rule. And if he was going to be the Messiah, then I want to be one of the twelve because it's going to be lucrative. I think from the very beginning, I think his motives were, were wrong. I think they were about greed. I think they were about self. Let's look at a few of these passages. Look at John. We'll just stay in the book of John. John chapter 6 in verse 70. You need to know a little bit about who we're dealing with here. This is Judas. And Jesus answered them. John chapter 6 in verse 70. Jesus answered them. Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a, what? Is a devil? Christ knew his heart and he put that label on Judas. He's a, he's a devil. He's a demon. He's a demon. Christ knew it. And so, so he's, he's labeled with that. Look at chapter 13 and verse, same book, John chapter 13 and verse 2. I want you to see, there's a little bit of a progression here. He's got this title. He's nurturing this little secret sin over here that he thinks nobody knows. Christ knows. And Christ says, man, he's a demon. He's a devil. Chapter 13, verse 2, during supper. Now, this is about six days later after, after the account of uh, washing his feet. About six days later, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to, to betray him. Now, here's the picture. Judas cultivating this little secret sin over here of greed. He's cultivating that. And, and it is just a playground for, for Satan. Satan comes along and puts this thought into his head. Hey, I know how we can get some money. If the center of your life is going to be greed, boy, Satan's going to help you out with that. Look what we can do. Satan, having already put into his heart 
Because he his heart was just heart was there. His heart was available. His heart was open. In fact, it was on the same plane. Let's rebel. It was Satan's plague playground right there. Look at verse 27, same chapter, 13, verse 27. After the morsel, Satan then, now look at the progression, Satan then entered into him. Now you know the setting there. It was a special time again, but Satan entered into him. It wasn't just, it wasn't just secret sins. It wasn't just planting the thought and letting that grow. It was, it was Satan was, was now in him. Entered in him. Therefore, Jesus said, what you do, do quickly. I don't think Jesus could just even be around him. Couldn't be around him. You see the progression there. He's, he's labeled. Because he's, he's cultivating this little secret sin. Listen, these are characteristics of a non-believer, folks. Characteristics of a non-believer. His heart was just a playground for Satan to just plant these little seeds all over the place. And that seeds, boy, those seeds are going to grow because of what uh, was going on in the heart already. And then, then Satan saw his chance. This is it, man. I'm going to enter that heart. And he was demon-possessed. And he just goes out and does what he's going to do. That's vulnerable. That's a warning to me. I don't want to put myself in that spot. I don't want to do that. There's a warning. Now, Christ, uh, there's a couple more verses. Look at chapter 17, verse 12. Chapter 17, verse 12. Look at the eternal destiny here, because it's, it's clear. John chapter 17, verse 12. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name. This is Jesus praying to his Father. He says, I was keeping them which you have given me, those, those disciples, those precious ones, and I... I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition. So the scriptures might be fulfilled. One of them did perish. Now, the, the context here is talking about eternal perishment, eternal death. Je, this, Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. And he's talking like uh, Judas has already perished, but it is though he had his heart. It already dictated. This is where he's going. He was on the right path. Satan had filled his heart. It was already a done deal. Turn over a few more pages. Acts chapter 1. Just give you one more verse here. Acts chapter 1, verse 25. To occupy... And this is... So the church began and there was a a hole. There was in the apostolic ministry. There was was one missing. And who's going to take Judas's spot? And, well, we we have this election. We'll have an election and we'll we'll, uh, cast lots and uh, we'll, we'll choose this way. Verse 25, chapter 1, verse 25. To occupy this ministry. We have to have somebody to occupy this ministry and an apostleship from which Judas turned aside... He rejected this ministry, turned aside to go his own, to his own place. That's a specific place. And I tell you what, it really just smacks of, he has a special place in hell for what he has done. That's kind of the idea. It's the idea. You know what? Christ warned about this. I'll just read you a quick verse. Verse you probably know, uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse 24, says the, the Son of Man is to go. He's going to go. The Son of Man is going to go. Just as it is written of Him, we know it's going to happen. 
But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better or it would have been good for that man to not have been born. That's pretty strong language coming from Christ. And Christ just warned. He was just warning. And it starts out with a secret, little pet secret sin. It's just a a little thing, just a little greed. But that little greed just blinded him. Blinded him from the truth, the gospel. Blinded him from all of the miracles. Blinded him from what could have been. And turn back to John. Let's look at the response real quick. Uh, Do you see a warning here? As a believer, do you see a warning here? If you are an unbeliever, there's huge red flags. If you, are, if you are not putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are inevitably hanging on to some secret sin. And John is just screaming, put your faith in Jesus Christ. Turn your back on this sin. And that's what Judas needed to do. Look at verse 7. And therefore Jesus said, and this is the response, um, let her alone. In fact, there's a there's a, a you here. There's an intentional you. It's not in the in the English, but it's an understood you, and it's in the Greek. And in fact, it's emphatic. He's looking right at, at Judas, and he says, You leave her alone. It was a sharp rebuke. Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Keep this this um, uh, custom, this tradition. That's what they do. And, and this was a picture. This is a symbol of Christ. Gonna, he's going to die. In less than a week, he's going to be dead. And she's kind of preempting Joseph of Arimathea. She's kind of she's going to do this, this sacrificial act of love. And he says, leave her alone. Leave her alone. He says, for you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Listen, he's not saying don't give to the poor. He's saying this is a matter of priority. I must be central. I must. I am more important than the poor in your life. I am more important than anything in your life. And, and you need to get your priorities straight here. So it's a sharp rebuke from Christ. A sharp rebuke. The other day, my... Uh, and, and you can imagine... Now just think about the, the context here. It's a beautiful context. And, and here he, he does this. And boy, just a sharp rebuke from, from Christ. And probably everything gets quiet. I mean, it was, he, he spoiled the moment. Just spoiled it. It, it, was, it was rotten. It stunk. It was no good. Um, the other day, my, my wife was... Uh, Uh, Pilling lettuce. Now, this was stalks of lettuce, not the head of lettuce or or something like that. It was stalks of lettuce, and she's pulling this off, and and, uh, uh, she pulls off one, and there's this huge, uh, a huge uh, dragonfly. Now, those things can be pretty big, but this one was, man, and it was just black and ugly, and and she screams, and my son Cable apparently comes and rescues her, and, and all of this. And I come in, I come in later. And, and man, I think it's pretty cool. You know, she's got it in the trash. And I said, well, dig this thing out, man. I want to see this. And I'm taking pictures, and the boys think it's really cool. And But it was disgusting. Imagine, you're peeling lettuce. You're not expecting to see this. It doesn't belong there. 
This little rebuke from, from Christ to, to Judas, it doesn't belong. It's not right. This heart is bad, Judas. It's, 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 going, to, it's going to hurt you. Your priorities are messed up, Judas. You're holding on to this secret sin and it stinks. And it's shocking. It's shocking. Judas, according to Mark's gospel, Judas chapter, or Mark chapter 14, Judas right away, he, he's, he's offended and right away he goes and he makes arrangements with the chief priest. What did Judas not do? He did not listen to that rebuke. He, he, he didn't fall on his face and say, yes, you're right. And I've been living a double life for so many years. And I'm so glad that my heart is exposed to you. Now, now please take this sin from me. I know that you are a merciful God. I've seen it. I've seen it in the past. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Judas didn't do that, did he? No, he goes out and he just, just makes arrangements. Just exposes this rotten heart. This heart that did not love Christ. This heart that was a thief. And that had been nursing this greed for years. What's in it for me? How can I, how can I get more? He was a, a taker, not a giver. That's just the opposite of what a minister should be. And he was preparing for ministry. And yet he was a thief. He had not changed, has he? He had not changed. There was nothing different about him. He was the same old Judas. He was the same old man. Now we can look at this in a couple of ways. In our arrogance, we can look at this story and say, Man, I'd have never done that. Probably Peter would have, probably Peter would have said that. Peter said, Man, I'd have never done that. That's, you know, I, I, would, I would be loyal to Christ to the end. You know, you can hear Peter say that. And, and Jesus, uh, Jesus uh, just a, a few days after this, he looks at Peter and says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Oh, no, not me. In our arrogance, we can look at this warning in Scripture and say, I would never do that. And yet, yet we find ourselves sometimes falling on our faces and, and begging forgiveness from the Lord. I think sometimes, though, we, we live in fear. What if? What if I'm what what if I'm like Jews? What if I'm really not a Christian? What if what if uh, what if it's uh, just not there and I and I just walk away from Christ one of these days? You know, that's a legitimate fear. I have to ask myself that question. What is it about me that makes me any different? Am I a changed person? You know, um comes down to how do you deal with your sin, doesn't it? One of my professors, Alex Montoya, he had written a book. And in, the, in his book, he has this about sin. And it's just so good. I just want to read it to you real quick. Sin is the enemy of God and us. Yet, although sin is our mortal enemy, people pursue it. They take pleasure in it. They revel in it. And they protect it as one would protect a pet cobra. Unaware that it, would, it is really no one's pet at all. Sin may lie in our bosom, but will strike you 
when it's when you uh, when you least expect it. If people only knew the great evil of sin, and if people only knew the danger and harm before uh, uh, harm brought about by it, sin is satanic. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is a passing pleasure. Sin deceives, it entangles, it enslaves, it hardens, it stings, it kills, and it damns. That's sin. Sin is the mortal enemy of mankind. Sin destroys a life and damns a soul. Sin entices with pleasure and only stings with death. No one... No one has escaped or ever will escape from the effects of sin. We are, we are conceived in sin. We commit sin and are doomed to continue in sin unless the grace of Jesus Christ intervenes. Ultimately, we will be condemned by sin to hell if the blood of Jesus Christ who died on the cross, does not cleanse us from it. The only hope for sinful humanity is the cross. Only the Lamb of God can take away the sins of the world. And he goes on to say, he says, I must continually remind myself and my people that sin is no friend of ours. I think we've got it wrong, folks. I think we have a generation that kind of cozies up to sin. And thinks it's okay. We love God's grace. We're pursuing God. But, but what are we doing about our sin? We, we kind of like it. We want to have both. I heard a sermon the other day. And this, this guy raised this question. If you knew that Christ was going to come in two days, what, uh, what would you do differently? And he goes on. Now, he's talking about God's grace, and he's emphasizing God's grace, and I understand that. I understand God's grace and how it works, and, and it's, it's not something that we earn. But listen, sin is no friend of Christians. But he goes on to say, here's what I would do. He says, I would get drunk. I would, that's what, I would just do the stuff I've always wanted to do. I would max out my credit card, man. I would just live it up, because Christ is coming, and I know I'm going to return with Him. Listen, that, that's that's awful. <laughs> that that's that's not the heart of a believer, is it? We we hate sin. Now we understand God's grace. We understand that. But at the same time, to us, sin should be stinky. It should it should repel us. It should we should hate it. We should hate it. Um, it should be like Job. It says two things, two things that we know about Job. He pursued God. He loved God. He, he feared God, it's what it said. And he turned from evil. Now, I think what we're doing is we're pursuing God, but boy, we're just not turning from the evil. I think that's what we are doing in my generation, in this generation that I'm living in. You know, Paul struggled with sin. Therein lies the victory. When we just give over our, give ourselves over to sins, these little pet sins, oh, it's not hurting anybody. But listen, it's going down the wrong path. It will harden your heart. At some point, if you continue down that road, you will walk away from Christ. Amen. Therein lies the danger. Paul struggled over sin. He says, the things that I want to do, I wind up not doing. The things that I don't want to do, I, those are the things I do. And he says, who's, who can, uh, save me from this um, life of death. 
And, but he doesn't just give up. I think sometimes we just, we just kind of give up. We don't like the fight. We just give in to the pressure. We just give in to the sin. It's so easy to, to nurse worry. It's so easy to, to, to hang on to a little gluttony. It's, it's so easy to, to, um, hide pornography and hatred and bitterness for someone else. Those are little secret sins that we just kind of hang on to and we cultivate and we nurture in our hearts and thinking, ah, it's not going to affect anything. Where's our priorities? Do we hate sin? Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will free me from this body of death? He didn't just give in. He kept fighting. He kept fighting. So the warning for Judas's life is the, is the fact that um, we better not be living a double life. We better be genuine. And that's self-introspection. We have to examine our own life. Am I cultivating some secret, secret sins that Satan could just come in and have a filled day? And then the real question is, what do you do with your sin? Do you confess it? Do you get it out? Do you keep short accounts from uh, uh, before God? Let's move on. There's just two quick little points here that I want to point out, and I'll pull this together. You'll see. There's, there's this next verse, verse 9. talks about the crowd's vacillating gaze. The crowd was just there to watch in verse 9. The large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there. Jesus was in Bethany, about two miles away, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they, may, uh, they might also see Lazarus. They're thrill seekers. They're, they're, um, they're just wanting to, to get in on what Jesus is going to do next. They're excited about this, so they come and... You know what? This is a crowd. Crowds are fickle. Crowds can be swayed any way that you want to, any way that a good speaker can kind of get up and persuade the crowd. And they're kind of always fickle. I'm just reminded that the kingdom of heaven is not... uh, You don't get into the kingdom of heaven with a crowd. You come in individually. And we'll talk about that a little bit more next week. But they wanted to see Lazarus, and I think this is interesting, whom he, um, Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Listen, verse 10, but the chief priest planned to put Lazarus to death also. Also, because on account of him, um, many of the Jews were going away and, and were believing in Jesus. And so what we see here, too, is the chief priest's um, expanded plan. Their plan now has to be expanded. This is a perfect illustration here, folks. Last time we read about the chief priest, they were saying, oh, it's expedient for one person to die. And now they have to get rid of the evidence. They have to kill Lazarus because now they're believing in Lazarus. Lazarus has now become the new threat. And here's what, and this is just a point I want to, to make, and it's from Leon Morris, his uh, commentary on the book of John. He just says this, one was, uh, one was not enough, talking about you've you got to kill Jesus. He says one was not enough. Now it is two. And he says four little words, thus does evil grow. Their evil little plan had to grow. It's no longer enough to kill Jesus. No longer uh, good enough to kill Jesus. Evil grows. Listen, it grows in our hearts and it grows in our plans. It, it grows. 
sin grows. Sin was growing in the heart of Judas. Judas was cultivating it, and it was just growing. He was nurturing it. It was this little pet sin. You know, we do the same thing, whether it's, whether it's gossip or, or lying or worrying. I'm not hurting anybody else. Well, you know what? Those sins grow. Evil just grows. It's just a phenomenon. This is what happens. Evil grows. Now, here's the principle. Here's the, here's the plan for believers. Here's, here's the, the point for believers. Listen, we then take, make short accounts with God. Just a constant basis. Lord, don't let me harbor any secret sin in my life. Lord, help me to get it out. Help you to be the single priority in my life. We keep those short accounts with God. Don't, Lord, don't let me go down that road. And we plead for His mercy. Because why? That God has put us, put a desire in our hearts to be different people. Not just do different things, but to be different people. And if we are a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, it will not change just our daily life, but it will change everything because it changes who we are Changes who we are. Christians hate sin. It is a mortal enemy. It, it is something that is our opposite. We confess sin. We forsake sin. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Lord, we see this passage and we see it. It's, it's just a warning to us. Lord, we, we recognize that we are sinful people. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that if, those are, if there's people here today that have not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ because of their sin, if they haven't truly, genuinely believed in Christ, if they have not turned away from their sin and turned toward Christ, Lord, may they do that now. Work in their heart. And Lord, for us as believers, help us to help us to see the warning signs. Help us to, to see when it's when it's an accidental sin or when it's some sin that we're just harboring in our heart. And we kind of feed every once in a while. We kind of cultivate it. And it grows, Lord. Help us to not be in that situation. Lord, help us to get rid of sin, forsake sin, confess sin, and get it out. Father, I, I pray that you would work in our hearts today. Lord, as you worked in my own heart, as I've had to examine my own life, Lord. Lord, I just pray that we would, we would see the stinkiness of sin. We would smell the stinkiness of sin and run. And run away. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.